You're listening to the Country Chat Podcast with your host, Dom. Subscribe, give a five-star rating, and follow us on Twitter at country underscore chat. And stay up to date. Hi there, you're the Country Chat Podcast with me, Dom. Today, I'm here in the UK just after the awards, and I've got the most spectacular bucket guest list artist amazing queen I could ever ask for on the show it's Kezia Gill I'm so worried I'm gonna disappoint you Dom oh you you've just you've built me up so much <laughs> the thing is though we were just talking just beforehand and I mentioned the fact that as soon as I came into the country scene you was one of the first names that really popped up because when you go when you're looking at joining like not joining a scene but when you start becoming invested into a scene you start looking at all the avenues that, are, that there are and I saw the BCMA and I saw like Simon Birds with Red Road and well Red Road at the time is now with ARC and the same name kept cropping up and it was Casey Gill so I thought okay then I'll check her out and I wasn't disappointed. I really, really wasn't disappointed. I mean, your debut album, Kezia, is just... You know, I don't know if you're like me, but whenever you try and listen to an album, you think, okay, then I know this is going to be great, but I want to see if I can find a fault. And I couldn't. I really, really couldn't. That's so nice of you. Do you know, it feels so long ago since I did that debut album because so much has happened but really in the grand scheme of things it was only it was 2017 I released that album so probably just over three and a half years ago something like that yeah but it feels like a, a real whirlwind has happened in that time <laughs> so it feels feels crazy thinking that that was the debut really yeah. I mean I did actually do albums prior to that these um and it's funny um everyone's like how can we get our hands on these albums and I like you never will <laughs> because it was just it was me kind of experimenting with my sound and what I wanted to do and you know a lot of my early ideas and my early writing went on these albums um so the Kezia album was actually an accumulation of two previous ones I kind of took the best songs of each um and I really sort of honed the sound you know spent more time and money on the production and I'm super proud of what came out of it. It was ultimately that that kind of got me got me through the door onto the fabulous UK country scene. Now, I don't know if you know, but I always tend to request, there's two songs that I tend to request now. There's one from the album and there's obviously your most recent and House of Cards. House of Cards to me, shows so much grit and like kind of not spitting venom at not just not just what we're in here but at everything in general because I always picture all the jobs that I've applied to I picture to everything that I've kind of wanted in life and I've always been either rejected or kind of turned away and whenever I, <laughs> when I don't know if everybody else listening to this is like me and whenever that comes on I don't just sing it I kind of shout it and I shout it really really loud <laughs> it's I, I know what you're talking about and the, I felt very much the same when I wrote it so with that particular song fully enough it was the I wrote the chords first I wrote the music first oh, right. and it came from I'd been going to um like a band open mic in Nottingham and it's great because it's like basically karaoke, but you play with a live band. So you go and you'd say, you know, or Valerie by Amy Winehouse. And they obviously know how to play those songs. Yeah. Where it became difficult was when you wanted to get up and showcase your own music. So obviously the band don't know your songs. Mm-hmm. So I've been a couple of times and like, they'd be like, look, we love it when you sing your own stuff, but we don't really know it. So the band would always take a break. And then it just, it'd go from being a full band to just me and the guitar. So I was like, do you know what? I need to write a song that the band can just play along with. Yeah. So for the musicians amongst you, I used a technique which is called an ostinato, which is basically where chords repeat over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So House of Cards is the same three chords over and over again. There's no change for the bridge, there's no change for the chorus. All I do is change the way I sing. Yeah. Um, and the melody uh, so it's actually incredibly easy to jam to so as soon as I went I just started playing the opening chords and I was like look guys it's E minor G B that's all you need to know and we jammed it and from the word go I was like great this is a song I can jam to um, but at the time um, I was kind, I was really trying to establish 
myself as as an original artist because I've been doing a lot of um a lot of cover work for years mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that that was my absolute bread and butter it's how I learned my craft it's how I earned my money um and I've been doing sort of like seven years working over in Spain so that is really how I'd learned to be Kezia Gill but I was kind of I wanted to start singing my own songs yeah and I felt like I kept coming against brick walls so like no one wants to hear your own stuff when you're unknown people are like oh yeah but it's good but you know do you do any Fleetwood Mac it's like well yes but why don't you listen to my song (laughs) you know and it's again nothing wrong with Fleetwood Mac absolutely love a bit of Stevie Nicks but Stevie Nicks had to start somewhere so I've just kept pushing my own stuff um at the same time, I was going for things like X Factor auditions, uh, Britain's Got Talent. I was sending my music to radio stations and I just wasn't getting anywhere. And I think it was just a bit of this whole song was just a bit of an accumulation of just being really angry yeah. and just being really pissed off that no one was listening to me. So House of Cards was just like, like you said, it was me standing up there and saying, you know, can I have your attention? Yeah. Can you just, just for one minute, can you just listen to what I have to give you? Because I promise you, you will wonder where I've been. Yeah. And it's that confidence in yourself to say, just wait, just stop and listen to what I've got to say, because I promise you, you will like it. And that takes a lot to like get to that point of confidence. So House of Cards is still to this day an incredibly personal song for me. I still come up against those same doors today. You know, your your song might not be uh, chosen for playlisting. It might not make a Spotify playlist. And it's always your first reaction is to go, oh, but am I not good enough? And I've, I've come to go, no, it's not whether you're good enough, it's whether they are listening. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of music out there to listen to, like Spotify, millions of songs get uploaded every week. And it's like, just because mine got missed, that doesn't mean I should question my ability. Oh, no, You've just got to work harder to make them listen, you know? Yeah, Com- completely agree. I mean, just... <sighs> I just, whenever you listen to music, you've got to try and put yourself in like the shoes of the listener. Yeah. And, you know, as as a listener, you know, I can just, I can picture being at the, you know, at a, at a gig and seeing everybody just chatting away to themselves and nobody paying attention. And then you just getting up and then just screaming it down the mic. And then everybody just kind of like going, <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it does grab your attention. I mean, like you say, you know, the first, the first line, you know, yeah. can I have your attention? Can I have a moment of your time? Just, yeah, it does everything. It does everything for me personally. It really kind of ticks the boxes in terms of speaking for the artists as well, because there's going to be so many artists that go through that same thing day in, day out, trying to get recognised when nobody's listening. Well, that's the thing. And that's why, like I say, still to this day, a, a lot of the lyrics in that song are so poignant. I mean, you know, you've got one chance to impress. So that goes for everything from auditions to showcases, you know, these kind of spotlight stages. You've got one chance to impress at this circus of the strange. And that's sort of saying that actually the music industry is there are no rules. There are no boundaries. So you're trying to impress in a world where anything goes. So that's your first kind of conundrum. And then you've got to convince everyone that you're different when actually we're all the same and we all want the same thing. So again, trying to be different, but still stick to a genre or stick to, you know, it's so contradictory all the time and it's exhausting. And that's why that song, I think, does relate to people. And still to this day, I think the the best and my favourite line I've ever written is, uh, you know, the idols of tomorrow were chosen yesterday. Yes. Because that's how I always used to feel, you know, when people made it and you think, oh, do you know what? I just missed the cut on that. Or when you go to an audition, it's like, oh no, you know, I just wasn't there in time or I just wasn't right. And you you just feel like you're constantly missing. So I felt like I was always kind of in the middle when yet tomorrow's stars have already been chosen and I'm just left here today. Like, well, what about me? Yeah. So, and it's still, like I said, it's still a battle. It's still a daily battle, you know, to try and think about Spotify and Apple and, you know, BBC radio and, and national radio, local radio, you're constantly thinking, well, what would they want at the same time as trying to make the kind of music you want to play? It's yeah. tough. It's a tough... Anyone that said the music industry is easy was lying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the other thing about the music industry is so many people think you can just make so much quick money and go on tours all the time. And, you know, it's one of the well most well-paid jobs going. And it really isn't. I mean, you're killing it's it. It's not. I mean, it, it can it can be well paid, um, but you know, not with 
not right from the, the start. Like, yeah. you know, you look at someone like Robbie Williams. Yes, he's well paid. He's making a lot of money. Um, just a bit. But just a bit. But, you know, Robbie Williams back at the start was probably earning nothing. Yeah. And it probably, probably for the first three or four years of Take That's career, the manager, uh, the record label, the producers, they'd have been making the money. Um, I had to fund my original career by being a cover artist. Um, I play a lot of weddings, birthdays. You know, I've done um, just sort of Saturday night down the pub. I did a lot of Irish traditional sessions. And at one point, like I said, I was working over in Spain. I was doing nine shows a week, which was six evenings and three afternoons. And the afternoons were just basically... um, uh, an apartment block that had a pool bar and I just used to sit in the pool bar yeah. but it was it was great you know and that's how I you know I walked home with my euros at the end of the day and it's like right all this time I was saving that money so that when I came back to England I could say right there's a couple of grand to throw at an album yeah. and that's what I had to do and still to this day I have to do weddings I have to do corporate gigs I have to do holiday resorts because that allows me to be Kezia Gill. And I'm not embarrassed to say that. I'm not ashamed to say that, you know. But what's really nice is when someone books you for a wedding and they say, can you do some of your own songs? <laughs> <laughs> That's what's always really nice. So that never gets old. <laughs> no, I it's, it, it's amazing what you've done. And my kind of like next point I wanted to go to it is we talked right at the start about, you know, finding your own sound. Now you said that you um, you were doing covers and stuff throughout, like wedding gigs and all that kind of stuff. When you're developing your sound, you've created your own two first albums that are now deleted. <laughs> what would you describe your sound to somebody who hasn't heard you yet, and I've just say recommended you to them? Oh well, it's a difficult one because mm-hmm. I know what I'd like to say, <laughs> um, but that's more probably what I'm working on becoming. Yeah. Um, I think the truth is, like, this is going to, again, this is going to sound so cliche, but you can't, really, you can't really put me in a box. Um, because I grew up listening to so many different genres of music. I was from a musical family and music was always around. Um, and, you know, one day we'd be doing like an Irish traditional session. So it'd be very folk based. Um, and then another day we'd go to like a rock and blues bar and we'd be listening to maybe like an ACDC cover, yeah. cover band. Um, and then another day I'd just be like listening to Radio 1 and whatever was on the radio. So all these influences, when I first started writing, it was like an accumulation of all of them. Yeah. So one song would be like a six minute Bob Dylan epic, you know, and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be the next Bob Dylan, this prolific folk writer. <laughs> And then the next song would be like an absolute two and a half pop, ooh yeah baby, ooh yeah baby. And like, it's just, I think you've just like gotta you've gotta experiment with everything. But I think in a nutshell, if people were to say, you know, what kind of artist is Kazi Gill? Um I'm a bit rocky. I'm a bit bluesy, absolutely country, but ultimately at the heart of everything, I sing with soul. Mm-hmm. I sing everything from the heart and it's kind of an inclusive experience. Like whether I'm just singing with just me and the guitar and I'm singing a song like I'm here, which is as equally as important to me as getting a stomping kick drum going and playing whiskey drinking woman. Both of them are as personal to me because I write about what I know. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes across when I perform. So what kind of artist am I? I'm just, I'm just an honest, I'm an honest artist and I love all music. And I think that comes across. Now, I'm not a stranger to the kind of emotions that are portrayed within I'm Here. I've always been kind of vocal in terms of mental health. I suffer strong, I've suffered quite badly with depression, anxiety, all that stuff that you really shouldn't have as a, as a person who's always on the microphone. But I've, people do. You know, people, it's a very normal thing to, you know, to have these kind of emotions. And when I listen to I'm Here it kind of makes me kind of step back and think, all right, then, so who has contacted me? Who's been, who's been my friend that's given, you know, given me a call or sent me a text just to say, how are you doing? And it, yeah. it wakes you up. It makes you, it goes, it makes you go through your phone and say, actually, yeah, that person's always been there. That person's always been there. Even though the world can seem so dark. When you, when you sing, I'm here, when you're writing, I'm here. What, 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 where you get, where do you get your, inspirations from is it from personal experience or um it changes the the reason i wrote i'm here is now only one thread of of what i feel when i sing i'm here Mm -hmm. it's taken on such a role 
So when I originally wrote I'm Here, I had um, a friend of mine in mind that was um, going through a battle with alcoholism. Um, and she was trying to get sober, trying to get clean. Um, and I was very much like, well, you know, just stop drinking. Like, it's fine. Just yeah. stop drinking. And she was like, look, it's, it's, it's harder than that. It's more than that. And by me trying to help, I actually got in the way. So I took a step back and we didn't, we didn't talk for years. It was really sad. Like how I, I kind of lost, lost the connection with this friend. And um, a couple of years later, I just sort of, we got chatting, we were at a wedding and we got chatting and I just said to her, look, I just want you to know whatever battles you've got going on. I don't understand those battles, but I am here. Like you can, and it meant the world to her and she told me so. And then after that, we started talking again and, you know, the, the communication barrier opened up again. And I thought, actually, when I was in the thick of it, thinking I was helping, oh, I'm trying to help, I'm trying to do this, I was making it worse. Yeah. And actually the best thing I ever did for her was just say, look, do you know what? If you need me, whatever that may be, I am here for you and I'm here for that. And that's that's what I was thinking when I wrote that song. And as as the years have gone on and I've faced my own issues with mental health and you know, I'm fortunate, I've got a very loving family, a very loving husband. Um, and I'd like to say I've never really, um, really experienced true depression. But I've certainly been through things that have left me questioning what I'm doing. Is it all worth it? Do I even want to get up today? Um, and in those times, what I notice is that I never really want to reach out. And I think there's a lot of pressure on people that suffer with mental health to reach out talk to somebody but actually in that moment you don't want to say I'm vulnerable you don't want to say I need help you don't want to say can somebody please just help me wash my hair today yeah can somebody just help me like get something to eat today so again I thought about what's so nice is when people say to me much like you referred to they just let you know the thinking of you I heard you've had a bit of a down week just letting you know I'm here if you want to walk I'm here if you want a cup of tea and that's where my family are great because they're supportive without being suffocating yeah so it might just be a case that you know my mom would text me and say how's your week been darling you know where I am you know kettles on and that's all I needed then to go do you know what get up get dressed drive to my mum's have a good fucking cry because that's what I needed yeah and I feel so much better for that but it wasn't like I had to go to her my mum just said I'm here for you bab and that's what you need and I feel like when people are truly in the pits of whatever they're going through just that, just reach, just that reaching out. Say, look, if you want to be on your own, that's fine. But equally, if you need to talk, if you need something, anything, I'm here. And it really took on a different set of wings. And I'm, I'm super proud of that song. And I'm, I'm super proud and humbled of how it's helped so many hundreds of people. I get messages on a weekly basis from all over the world from people that that have a, have a re- resonate with that song. And it's lovely. It's really lovely. That's uh, that, that's you so right in the terms you know when you were saying about when people are always expect you to say you know say something when you're going through the whether you're feeling you know really down or even to the worst extent that I was I was actually feeling suicidal at points um, and people say well why don't why don't you just say something just say something to me say something to me and when you're in that kind of dark place you don't see anything you don't see it's the hardest thing to do when when you're in that moment the hardest thing to do is reach out yeah and you know what you've written with I'm here is it, it's just beautiful it really is in the sense of it show it showcases what can be going through the friend of somebody's illness is going through themselves, you know, saying yeah. it's almost like a desperation trying to say, I'm here. You're just trying to, like, like you were saying, you know, you want to reach out and you've got to take a step back. You, you really yeah. nail it. You do. And it's like, you know, as much as I love, I'm here. I love the line that follows it. You know, I'll leave a light on for you, my dear. Mm-hmm. Cause when you're in the darkest night, if, if I, I write very lyrically and I, I write sort of, I almost paint a picture. So I imagine someone in a forest yeah. and it's the surrounded by dark and they can't see any way out. And then they just see a light and they know that they just need to head towards that light. Like yeah. they're no longer in the dark. There's just one light and they head towards it. And it's a little cottage and the lights on and they go in, they have a chat and they're suddenly out of the dark. They're still in the forest no one's talking about, you know, you're not going to have a conversation and suddenly be lifted from depression. You're still very much in that dark forest, 
you're in that little cottage and the fire's on and you're having a cup of tea and you're no longer alone and it's no longer scary. And I think that's that's why I love that line because I will leave the light on so that when you need to come, I'm here. And that, I love that. That is so beautiful. It's, oh, I mean, I... It, it, it gets me speechless every time. It really does. And people, you know, I've said it only a few times on here, you know, it's very rare that I do get speechless, especially when it comes to a song that means so much. And, yeah, it mean, it means a lot. That's not, I mean, what's so nice as well is, is it's becoming a conversation that people don't feel afraid to have anymore. Yeah. Like there's so much stigma with mental health and it's crazy because we all have it. You know, all mental health means is the health of our mind. You know, and there's so much stigma attached to it. And I have to applaud you for, for talking about it because actually what you said at the start of this conversation, oh, you know, I sh- it's not something I should have because I'm quite a chatty public figure. The opposite is actually the truth. People that have a, a persona, whether that be, um, you know, on, on radio or a public persona, um, they quite often struggle. And they, they almost wear a bit of a mask. I mean, I certainly, you would never think it, but I'm quite a quiet, private person. I don't do well in big crowds. I don't do well, like, when there's loads of people around. I like I like my little quaint, you know, ways, and I like to just be with my husband, and I've, I get quite overwhelmed in, in big situations. But for me, walking onto a stage in front of 10,000 people is fine mm-hmm. because I've got the mask on. Kezia Gill's doing it, not not just Kez. Do you know what I mean? The slightly yeah. nervous, awkward ginger girl that got picked on at school. <laughs> you know, she's fine. She's like, the, the mask's gone on and Kezia Gill is standing out there. And it's still, like, still daily, Kezia Gill is someone that I can hide behind because the truth is I'm actually quite quiet and I'm very vulnerable. If I read something negative online, it always hits me right in the heart like a bullet. Uh, I, there could be a thousand comments saying lovely things and one comment would say oh you know I don't really like her tattoos or she's a bit loud for me or I don't really like her music and they would just break me yeah and I think that's the one thing like I always thought oh you've got to toughen up you've got to be hard and I was like no because I'm not I'm a big softy very sensitive I, you know and I do get I do get offended by things but when I become Kezia Gill I can I, can, I just take it on the chin yeah. and I'm fine I'm fine with it I'm like this badass girl that just goes out and rocks a show and I'm not really I don't really care what you think but Kezia when she's at home she does care so it's it's absolutely you know a, a myth that public figures who have a persona are constantly like that it's not I think it's actually the opposite I think we we hide behind that sometimes I, I think yeah no I completely agree and I can I can see it with a lot of people where you need to <clears throat> obviously particularly when you do like radio you know, you've got to have that kind of ear-catching, happy, you know, you've got to make your audience happy because that way they listen. And, yeah. you know, eat. there's times where I'll talk and, I mean, I don't have, you know, I'll use quote marks here, the radio voice. But, you know, I'm, I try to keep as, try and keep as honest as I can. And, you know, this, this the great thing with these is that it's a podcast. So I can be yeah. as brutally honest about myself. You know, there's so much I hate about myself. You know, I, I could, the list goes on. But you mentioned about being picked on at school. Let, let's let, yeah. let let's let's move let's slightly move away from current music and current yeah. life. I want I want to go right back. You know, before even music was a thing. Well, you're going to struggle because music was always a thing. I know, and that was kind of the problem <laughs> because um, I just always wanted to perform. Yeah, and that straight away set me aside from like the other kids that were cool I mean aesthetically I was an easy target because I was I had like very ginger hair like very orange hair very fair skin lots of freckles and kids are just so harsh when they're younger so even at the age of sort of like five and six like, oh what are them spots on your face and suddenly you're like oh, they're not spots and my mom just used to say to me oh you have to say they're freckles and they're a sign of beauty and I used to end up like through the tears oh they're freckles and they're a sign of beauty (laughs) but you know like like I've got photos and it's like I was just say I had this crazy Irish curly frizzy hair and this was before straightness so it was always out of control um 
I had quite big front teeth and then I lost all my front teeth all in one go. So I just, it's just a recipe. <laughs> it's a recipe for bullying. And as well, I'm, I'm a real, I was a real teacher's pet. Like I always wanted to be the best in class. And I was because I worked hard. I've always had a work hard, you know, attitude. Um, so it didn't help when it was like, oh, you know, top of the class is Kezia and this is and this and that. And my work was being put on the walls. And, you know, I had a, I had a good group of friends in junior school. And then when the, the problems really hit was sort of like when I went to secondary school, um, because I really started to want to do things like music and drama. Yeah. And that's sort of when around the age of sort of 10, 11 is when like girls can be really mean, like mm-hmm. just just about things like I was a bit of a late developer. Like I didn't I don't think I like needed a bra till I was about 14. And God, the other girls let you know about it in the PE changing rooms when you're still wearing a vest. Yeah. <laughs> and they're rocking up with the bloody <laughs> double C cup bras and you're like, oh give me oh. a break. I'm like, oh God, even my boobs are letting me down at this rate. And uh <laughs> but again, it was my love of music that was both my salvation. Yeah. And pushed me further and further away. And it got to the point where in secondary school, I actually only had about two or three friends that stuck through me through everything. Um, and we were a very tight group of girls, but I was never one of the popular kids. And every year in like the Christmas show, I got the lead or I got the the lead in the play or, you know, whenever there was anything to do with the school being in the paper or there was a time when they were on the news, Kezia, she's, she's, she's good for it. You know, she'll perform. <laughs> she, she won't show us up. And it, yeah, it just, I just never had many friends, but I never needed many friends. I had a couple of girls that were like, you know, and always actually got on better with the lads. Like I was in the five-a-side football team um, and I used to play football with the boys quite a lot. Um, always seemed to get on better with the guys because they were just less judgmental. Yeah. Um, and yeah, what's, what's amazing is when I look back at school, I don't look back with fondness, I must say, but when we did our leaving assembly, it was the year 11 leavers day. It's the last day of school. We've all gone in. We're all sat in the assembly hall. And I obviously had been asked to sing a song. Mm-hmm. And I sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And I sang it. And all the girls that had picked on me for the last five years were all in floods of tears. And I got a standing ovation and all of them stood up, all the bloody mas- blue mascara down the faces or oh whatever they used to wear. And they all cheered and gave me a standing ovation. And that was just my silent way of going, yeah, you're damn right. <laughs> oh, yours. <laughs> so that was a lovely memory, you know. And then how, how quickly it changed. I went on to college and studied musical theatre and performance and had about 20 of the best friends I've ever had in my life because they were like-minded people. Yeah. You know, there were people that loved music, that loved performing, that were outrageous as as you like. And I'm still to this day, they remain my close circle of friends. There was no judgment. And they, they, you know, from the minute I walked into that um, enrolment classroom, just friends for life, wonderful, wonderful people. And uh, so, yeah, the, the bullying was fine. You know, I, I can't say it shaped me in any way. It just, it just, made me get a little bit tougher I suppose but yeah it's, I suppose like everyone I was, I was a ginger kid that sang I brought it upon myself <laughs> how dare you bring that upon yourself I was asking for it <laughs> I mean because you know you can totally control your natural hair color and you can totally control what you like to do it's, it's, it's so frustrating I mean I used to always hang out in the library so I was always a target as well so I was, I was, yeah. I used to hang around with more girls than boys. So I'm, I'm similar. Um, but then again, it kind of explains my kind of sexuality now. So, hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you know, but I recently came out as bi. Oh, did you? Yeah. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm not looking for congratulations. It's just, you looked a bit, a little bit confused and it was like, <laughs> I don't want to assume, but you know, it's amazing. Um, I, when I first started going to musical theatre college, um, two of the guys that I became friends with instantly came out as gay that same year. Yeah. And like, hands down, the most supportive friends I've ever had. Like, and it's, it's funny, you know, it was girls that were so harsh to me in school 
yeah, the two male friends are like the girliest, <laughs> girliest guys I know. They're just the gayest guys I know, but I love them for it. And it's it's a kind of friendship where they know every word to my song. You know, they know every show I've ever done, every gig. It's like they're the first ones there. And they're just absolutely wonderful, wonderful friends. And I just think it was the love of music that brought us together, which is just beautiful. Going on to Local Man Star. Now, there's a few references throughout the um, the build-ups of the chorus and the chorus to mm-hmm. obviously like the greats, the willies and the cashes. The main story, is that about your dad? Yes, it is. Um, I always wanted to write a song about my dad and I tried for years and years and years and just couldn't get it right because dad was my absolute hero. Um, he was he was always a legend in my eyes, but I'm biased. But what was lovely is when other people spoke of him as a legend. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, I'm using past tense because we lost Dad last year to cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and for quite a few years prior to that, he'd been quite poorly. He had a heart bypass and he'd had a stroke. So I really started grieving for my dad long ago. Um, but when I think about him when I was younger, he was just, he was just a megastar. He was a megastar, <laughs> but he didn't play Wembley and he didn't play, you know, these great big venues. He played like the dog and duck yeah. and he played minors welfare and working men's clubs. And that was always fine. He, he never wanted more. Yeah. Um, he was just so content being Eddie McGill and being his own, you know, just doing what he wanted to do providing for his family and through doing that he became exactly what the song says a local man star yeah so everyone was listening to johnny cash on the radio and everyone was listening to elvis presley but the difference is people could go and see eddie mcgill down the pub every saturday night yeah and he became friends with these people and he really taught me the importance of knowing your audience and of reading your crowd and of of seeing these people not just as as paying people that have come to see you but as your friends so when people come back if they ask for willie nelson last week when they come in you go ah a bit of willie nelson for you tonight and there's you know little things like that remember when it's somebody's birthday try and remember people's names and he taught me how important that is and the importance of reading a room like he said to me you know what's the point in going to a show with a set list already written because mm-hmm. you don't know who's in the room and still to this day i never use a set list because you never know what, what you know until you get there who what what's going to be required um and i finally managed to write the song local man star and i'm so glad i got to write it and produce it and release it while he was still alive um because he loved it and he, he was so proud of it and we got to do a video which is out there on youtube and he's actually in the video as well he was quite poorly he actually had pneumonia when we shot that video um but he made it he had he had to go home halfway through the shoot for sleep because he was tired but he he did it like a trooper and the final scene where he joins me on stage we had to do in one take again because his breathing was bad but just that a true showman a trooper and uh, the, the basic story is that he was he was my hero but he was everyone else's hero as well he was everyone else's star he was a local man star a working class hero and I loved him immensely I still love him immensely and my goal from now until the day I die is just to make that man proud of me. Oh, no. <laughs> I think there's been three, four artists out of the, I don't know how many now I've spoken to, that's actually made me cry live on a podcast. <laughs> and that story, I mean, everybody who has, who has lost somebody dear to them will understand that kind of wanting to commit that dedication, you know, that kind of, you know, to look back at, you know, the person that you love, you know, in your case, your dad's life and say, okay, then that, that's what I want to aspire to. You know, that's my role model. That's my idol. And, and you, you do that. I mean, you just got to look at the Friday night crew, hmm. you know, it, you've, whew. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's totes emotion. <laughs> totes emotion. You know what? The, the Friday night crew have absolutely been my salvation. Yeah. Because um, we're coming up to the um, first year anniversary 
since we lost dad. Yeah. And we lost, um, we lost my dad on the 3rd of March and COVID was really just starting to pick up pace. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to have a funeral, albeit very small. It was only 20 people. Um, but the funeral was, uh, was on the 24th of March and my first live stream was on the 27th. So three days after my dad's funeral was the first live stream. I was so fragile and so vulnerable, but I wanted to do this show uh, because basically the reason the live streams came about was that myself, Megan Louise and Jade Helliwell were due to play a gig on mm-hmm. the Thursday night in Saltburn. We'd sold tickets for it and it was supposed to be going ahead. And obviously it couldn't. So we said instead that we'd do something online. So mm-hmm. Jade and I, unfortunately, Megan lives a bit further away. So Jade and I, she's planned to come to my house and we were going to do a live stream just for the people that had bought tickets, you know. Yeah. Um, and then the, the kind of the Boris announcement came, you must stay at home. And we said, oh, well, that's not going to work. But I tell you what, I said to Jade, you take the Thursday and I'll take the Friday and we'll just we'll do a one off. We'll do a live stream. And that's how it started. But I say the funeral of my dad was on the Tuesday and the Friday came round. And my husband said to me, said, you know, you don't have to do this. I said, I'll, I'll do it. I said, you know, I've sold tickets as people expecting to come. And we ended up just doing it on Facebook so anyone could tune in. Yeah. And 400 people watched that live stream. And it, I couldn't believe it. It blew me away. We'd never done a live stream. So we didn't know what we were doing with the sound. It was literally filmed on my phone. I was wearing my pink fluffy slippers and... I was so vulnerable and so heartbroken, but at yeah. the same time, so filled with love that that many people had turned up. And in that moment, I was like, Do you know what? I'm going to keep doing these because dad would have wanted me to keep doing them. And it, it became a weekly thing. And like I said, I think we're only about five weeks shy of the year anniversary. And then um, my one, my one thing when I think about the Friday night crew is a wish, a wish my dad could have, part of it yeah I think he'd have he'd have loved all the chat and all the banter and all the fun like nights we have we do a lot of theme nights I mean t- tonight we're on day of recording we're doing a Welsh night you know so <laughs> it's, it's all for St David's Day on Monday so we've got Welsh whiskey we've got Welsh cakes in we've got all the Tom Jones hits it's mm-hmm. gonna be a lot of fun but there's always just that prang in my heart I said oh I wish my dad could see this because he'd love it he'd love the crew and they'd love him as well. And it's just, it's hard, you know, it's hard knowing that we're coming up for a, nearly a year without him. So much has happened in that year. I'm, it's I'm, tough. I'm sure he'd be so proud of what, you know, you you both have, you know, both have achieved, you know, you and your, you and your husband, because you two play such a vital role on the <laughs> streams. I mean, I remember tuning into the cheese one. And <laughs> cheese week. That was... <laughs> I couldn't stop grinning from like the moment it started of a bit of cheese. Then it was like a full description of what this cheese was like. And then you'd have, I think it was Hague Club, uh, the whiskey you yeah. had then with lemonade. Uh, yeah. I think it was Diet Schweppes. Not that I'm a stalker <laughs> or anything. Um, but that, that, that's how memorable the stream was. And that's what you yeah. want from a stream. You want to be, you know, you, you want to remember it. And oh, it was so funny. <laughs> Well, we played Agadoo. We did an Agadoo medley uh-huh. um, where, you know, it, it, I never thought at the start of playing Agadoo on the keyboard. But, um, you know, I just I don't take myself too seriously on these live streams. I mean, I like to think when I do a show, when I do a festival, like, it's all about, you know, the image, how I look, what I'm doing. And I go out there and I'll be the best I can be. But when I do my live streams, I just like to have a bit of fun. That's why we do the theme nights, you know. Yeah. And I'm happy to take on a song that I probably know I'm not going to be able to do justice to. And I'm happy to do silly requests. And and Lloyd, my husband, he's brilliant because he's just come out of his shell so much. And a lot of people didn't even know who Lloyd was. And now he's he's more popular than I am, <laughs> you know. And he's been playing, he plays a little bit on the guitar with me now and again. And it's literally Fridays in the Hughes household are just so exciting because, you know, we're getting everything set up and we're getting all the songs ready. And it's it, yeah, it feels like a gig and it's been my salvation throughout the whole of this pandemic because without it, I, I just don't know what I'd have done. Is Lloyd a sparky? He is. 
I, I, I'm, back of my head, I was thinking, I'm sure I've seen somewhere on one of the streams, because the Cheese Week isn't the only one that I've watched. I'm sure <laughs> I've seen someone comment or say something about Sparky. So you might have asked the question and like, I cannot yeah. remember. He is a Sparky and we make a bit of a joke that every week we have a shocker of the week. That's and it's it. Usually a, it's a song that has some kind of reference to being an electrician. So we've had She's Electric, we've had Electric Light Orchestra. Last week we did Blinding Lights. <laughs> every week. <laughs> is something different and it's that yeah it's shocker of the week in in honor of lloyd the sparky <laughs> i'm surprised nobody's chose lighthouse family yet that's a good one that's a good one i have to put it on the list <laughs> well I, I can't wait to tune in now obviously i'm, I'm conscious of the time um so i'm gonna ask one more que- uh well a couple more questions two or three max i yeah. promise i promise you're fine <laughs> so obviously we've just been uh, talking about your dad now I can't I can't do the podcast. I can't do this chat without talking about Wings. Okay. Now, you released Wings right at the end of November. I know yeah. very vividly, I think it was the 27th of November, because we just released our charity single at the same time. Um, right. Because Keith Urban and Pink was at number one on the iTunes chart, we then came in at number two. And then straight away, within, I think it was like two hours, three hours, you came in, boom. <laughs> <laughs> it was like yep friday night crew's awake all the That's fans it. are awake i mean i, I can't say because you know straight away i had yours on pre-save anyhow because when you be in the position i'm in you know you get to hear these kind of you know songs come through and yeah i've, I've said it to simon on arc so many times and i've i think i've tweeted you about you know i've tagged you in that tweet as well every time i listen to wings i cannot help but cry now, obviously, people have gathered now that I'm an emotional guy. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But everything about it, because it, like we were saying with House of Cards, you know, you can tie that in with everything emotional in life. You know, what's the point in talking? You know, what's the point in listening? What's the point in just what's the sometimes just what's the point? And yeah, it's it's very much. I mean, again, it's it's one of those songs that was written with one feeling in mind, but it just grows and it becomes so many other things. I think when you've written a song, like you have one idea and you, that's what you put down, but every time you sing the song, it can mean something different. And at the time of writing that song, um, we'd found out that Dad's uh, cancer diagnosis was terminal and that we were starting to give him palliative care. Mm-hmm. And I'd moved back in with my parents to aid because my dad's one wish was to be at home he didn't want to die in hospital he wanted to be at home with his girls and his family so that's what we did um and it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do and the most rewarding thing and it was one particular day I'd just I'd been at mum and dad's for a few days and I I just came home to get a shower and a change of clothes and because I was trying to be strong for my mum and dad I kind of I was coming home and releasing here so Lloyd was kind of getting the tears and getting getting all the emotions so that when I went back, I was strong. So I came home and Lloyd blessed him, no fault of his own. He was just right in the middle of doing some work. He's self-employed. So, he, you know, he was doing some invoicing, just right in the middle of something. And it was like, just literally give me half hour and we'll have a whiskey and I'll be with you. And I was like, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're busy. And at, in that time, I sat down at the piano and I wrote Wings. I wrote it in about five minutes. I don't know where it came from. It just literally... I, you know, usually when I write a song, there's loads of lines crossed out and there's bits I know I prefer that. It was written, start to finish. I just wrote it. And I feel like I was looking at life and the fragility of life so differently at that moment in time. And everything seemed so fragile. And I, at the time, I, you know, I was having a lot of conversations with dad. This was still when he was lucid. So I was able to say, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And it was just everything I was feeling right in that moment just came out onto the page. Yeah. And it's, you know, every, every line I can take something from, you know, like do not let anything get in your way because it, it, it's ultimately down to you, mm-hmm. you know? So it, if anything that you want to set out and achieve, don't let other people tell you that it can't happen. Like you're the one that makes that decision and whether that's, it could be a job, or it could be, you know, you, you could be in, say, for example, you could be in a relationship where you're not happy, but you just stay. Like, no, leave. 
Yeah. Because you're the only person that can make that call. Don't don't live in a life where you are unhappy. Because at the end of the day, what good is life if it is passing you by? And there are lots of people in a situation every day where they are just letting life pass them by. Beautiful singers that don't sing. People incredibly talented in painting, dance, writing. But they work behind a fucking desk because they don't dare do it because it's too big because it's too far and it's too scary and I love I love the quote if your dreams don't scare you they're not big enough and I just think do you know what people die every day of things like cancer more recently covid car accidents can you die tomorrow knowing that you lived your life today and I just think we should all be able to say yes yeah I lived it and and that's the thing I, I was watching the person I love the most in the world fade in front of my eyes and I made him a promise that I was going to just absolutely live every day I have on this planet to the fullest and make him so proud of me and I think that's where that song came from but again like I'm here other people have heard those words and it's just resonated and I don't I don't particularly know why I don't know where it comes from but I feel like when I truly write honestly that when I truly put my heart on the page that's when I create magic and I think that with I'm here with wings local man star that that is me absolutely just opening my heart and just emptying the contents onto a page i don't really know how to write any other way because if it ain't honest if it ain't if if you ain't feeling it then then don't bother you know that's it that's it exactly and you know i've always said you know if if you write a song you know you've got to be able to go up on the stage and you've got to be able to perform it and perform it knowing full well that that's you know you've got to put the effort in i know being a performer, being a singer, it's almost, it can almost sometimes be like acting when you're obviously singing about, say, fictional stuff. Yeah. But when you're singing about something that's real or to other people can be perceived as real, then you've got to really show the commitment. And whenever I've... I take the other day on Saturday, the UK Country Music Spotlight Awards, listen to Wings, listening to Whiskey Drinking Woman, just... You, you, you've got everything, you know, if, if I was to hit record on that, I could, you know, you could put that in a CD and it sounds exactly like you're in a studio because you put the same amount of effort in, in your live performances as to what you do in the studio. It's amazing. And you nail it. You really do. Thank you. I just think there's, there's no point doing it any other way, Dom. Like there's just no point. You know, you've like I said, you've you've got to you've got to do everything as if it's the last thing you're going to do. Like, are, are people going to remember me for this performance? You know, yeah. you never know who's watching. You never know what's around the corner. And like, you know, linking the two songs, going back to House of Cards, you have one chance at this weird circus of the strange to get people's attention. So do it doing something good. Yeah. You know, just be be the best you can be at the end of the day. And like, I, I, you know, the line in that that says playing with fire doesn't mean you're going to get burnt because everyone says, oh, you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. Yeah, but actually, what if you don't? What if you're just playing with fire? You're creating, like, just do it, you know? And that's, I, I love that line. You know, the fire within can keep you alive. And that's, that's the truth. And as long as I have this passion and this dream and this love, I will have this fire that no one else can touch. And, uh, yeah it's 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 a song of love it's a song of love for my dad it's a song of love for my life and love for life in general the the people in my family and the the life we have I don't know about how long or short make make absolutely every day count the famous line from Titanic to making it count there you go to making it count Okay, now there's a million other things that I want to ask you, but I'm not allowed, um, mainly because of time. Just, like I say, you know, you've got a live stream coming up very soon, so I've got two questions, three questions. Very, 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 <laughs> like, <laughs> the quick fire ones, don't worry, quick fire. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Yes. Yes, awesome, brilliant, thank you. Jaffa cakes, cake or a biscuit? Cake. Cake, brilliant, thank you, got it right, and your favourite whiskey? Jameson's. Jameson's. Ooh. But, uh, Jameson's a bit more spicy than... It's oh, well, sweeter. I think... It's a sweet whiskey. Oh, is it? Yeah, uh, it's, it's an Irish whiskey. It's sweet, yeah. And uh, I think the reason Jameson's is my favourite is because Jameson's is the one that my dad used to drink. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and when we were very young, 
whenever there was anything wrong, like toothache or tummy ache, you'd have a, <laughs> I shouldn't really be saying this, a small shot of whiskey with lemonade. Um, if you had a cold, uh, tummy ache, small shot of whiskey, <laughs> a little bit of hot lemonade. And this is, I'm talking from the age of five or six. So I was kind of weaned on Jameson's. <laughs> You had it spot on. That is, I mean, remember the old wives' tale where you just they dip the pacifiers, dummies, in brandy or whiskey. A toothache. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Well, Dad used to do this great thing for a cold, um, and we used to have a lovely um, open coal fire. It was mm-hmm. My dad's pride and joy. And through the winter, he used to get the coals glowing orange. It was beautiful, um, and he used to have a poker. And apparently, there's an old wives' tale that in the carbon. Of, a, of coal there's something that that helps a sore throat and um you know when you're full of head cold so we'd get a whiskey hot lemonade a slice of lemon and they'd put the red hot poker in the coals until it glowed red mm-hmm. and then they'd put it in the drink and it'd all fizz and bubble and all the black bits of carbon would come out in the drink and then it'd go yeah, drink that. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> you'd, you'd, look, you'd look at it with all the black bits in it and go, you sure? You're trying to poison me here, but I tell you, it works. You still ain't out. not poker drink. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> I, 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 parts of me wants to try that now, just to see <laughs> what it tastes like. It's great. It's great. I mean, honestly, there's nothing better than a hot whiskey when, you, when you're feeling a bit rough. It's absolute... It's, the amber nectar i'm telling you <laughs> now what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to organize another chat because there's so much more that we've missed out in this we've got yes. your upcoming music you've got an eb coming soon if you haven't watched the bells and gals awards then obviously you would have missed that um and there's just so much I mean, it's like music that's only available on your website just why <laughs> but we'll talk about that in the future We need to to organise it because I've got to let you go. I'm holding you back. We will. And do you know what? It's nice because I feel like what we we spoke for about an hour, I think that's probably enough of my annoying Midlands accent for now. But uh, it'd be be nice to come back in a few months when I can tell you more. Because even if we were to talk about what's coming up, I won't be able to say too much. So let's wait till I can tell you all about it. Awesome. Can't wait to have you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for coming on, Kezia. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. See you all next time. And bye for now. That was the Country Chat Podcast. Join Dom next time for exclusive interviews, reviews and general chit-chats on all things country music.